Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. blenders and welcome welcome to episode number 113 of real blend a podcast that wants to know what a quibby is i have a feeling we're going to be able to learn that at some point (laughs) later today uh my name is sean o'connell i am the managing director here at cinema blend uh this is our continued uh quarantine isolation episodes and we're going to have a ton of uh, big movie news we have a fun guest and uh, i promise you by the end of this episode you will have a better idea of what a quibby is because and we're on uh, video today by the way Oh, yeah, I guess I should point that out, shouldn't I? Um, providing that yes. everything goes well, you guys will be able to watch all of us together doing this podcast. And so let me introduce immediately the guys. I'm going to start with Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. How are you? I'm so nervous about this because there's so often that I just zone out whenever both of you are speaking and kind of just do my own thing. Mm. And now everyone's going to know because I usually just <laughs> wait for Kevin to get done with the puns before we can continue mm. on with the show. So usually that's yeah, yeah. time when I can check my email and see if my mom's <laughs> texted me. But now right. everyone's going to know every little thing that I'm doing. I think by the end of the episode, too, I want a Daenerys uh, cameo, please. We'll have to make that happen you somehow. No, come on. Get her up. The other <laughs> host of the show, obviously, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. <laughs> so he, he basically jakes a break, right? He jakes a break during the show when I'm talking. I think technically it's called a Jake break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jake's breaks. <laughs> Jake's break. Now everyone can see what we see when Kevin right. and I get into a really great topic. You know, Jake on the goes air right now to the, the phone. It's usually me. Also, it's usually me rolling my eyes. And then the extreme <laughs> versions is usually when I swear. <laughs> All right. I want to talk a bit about our guest before we uh, dive into the show. We were able to speak to earlier this week, um, Chris Ray, who has a movie called I Used to Go Here uh, that was supposed to be going to South by Southwest. And a while ago, we didn't really make this public because we were trying to see how it came together, but we wanted to do something special for the filmmakers that were going to be bringing their movies to Austin uh, back when the film festival was still going on. And um, there there were a lot of folks who we spoke to who had their movies uh, going to South by who said they wanted to wait uh, until their movie had a release date and then do some more press around that time. But Chris was really fired up to talk about her movie. Uh, She has, it's a great comedy with uh, Gillian, um, Gillian, uh, who's Jacobs. Oh, Jacobs. Thank you. I was going to say Anderson. And I'm like, no, that's not right. That's X-Files. Gillian Anderson. Yeah. I get those two confused as well. It's okay. Gillian Jacobs, uh, who is a first time author whose book is not performing very well, who goes back to her college town uh, and sort of falls back into the routines of being in college. So it was great to speak to her about that movie and some really interesting insights, I thought, 
in terms of um, theatrical distribution for indie films. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But before we start off with the show in general, a reminder, we have a community page over on Facebook that's very, very active. We have um, episodes going on YouTube, and that's part of the reason why we're doing this video streaming is because we've gotten a ton of feedback from people who say they'd much rather watch the show than just listen to us straight up. So we're going to be testing this out and making this work while we're all in isolation. And of course, we're available on all of your favorite podcast apps. So uh, give us a download, give us a subscribe and recommend us to a friend. I can tell Kevin wants to say something. What's up? Oh, I was just going to say, are, are we going to ever do a behind the scenes video of Jake's two hour uh, makeup and prep for these videos that we do for our show every single day? I don't see why not. That seems like a great bonus episode. <laughs> he doesn't wake up looking watching. like that. I was just watching Jake. How I, dare you? How dare you, sir? The oh, only reason natural. I made natural. I'm I, I'm actually I'm in my my home studio. As are you, Kevin. We're in our home. Actually, this is kind of perfect timing to start doing this um, because we all and 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 Sean, you have one too. We all kind of have these somewhat um, these sort of studios because we're all broadcasting uh, from our homes right now. So these shots look infinitely better than they would have if we had started this like yeah. two months ago. So I, the only reason I made that joke is because I've been, uh, obviously we've all been home as Jake mentioned. And I, every day someone on Twitter asks Jake about his hair or his, like the way he looks in the morning. And he always responds with, oh, I, it's a ton of product or whatever it is. So I just want to say this is cool that people can actually see what we see and the beauty and the glory that is Jake Hamilton. Look, it doesn't however, move. However, it doesn't however, move. I do want to say, as someone who has been lucky enough to wake up in Jake's apartment early in the morning, he does emerge from the bedroom looking very much like that. <laughs> it is He is camera ready at keep, all times. Keep That's telling why. me about all the other things that you were watching in the middle of the night whenever I would wake up. <laughs> uh, that's why Jake gets paid the huge bucks, um, as, as they true. say, at Fox 32. All right, a poll, weekly poll. So we put the... Um, we put the weekly poll up to you guys, and it's going to give us some additional homework. Uh, and I think Gabe is going to let us do this. The question was, which film should the boys record a commentary track for? So one of the things that we wanted to do while we're in quarantine and probably you know, continue doing it uh, once we're able to get back to a normal life is to record commentary tracks that you guys could then download as almost bonus episodes and then watch a movie with the three of us talking over the movie and talking about why we love it so much. Um, and uh, maybe even single out some of the ones that we disagree on and have a fun time sort of nitpicking some things that don't work or, or, or commenting why certain things don't work. But the best way for us to do it right now is through a Netflix app called Netflix Party, uh, which is a way for multiple people to watch the same movie uh, via a stream. And so we picked things off of Netflix. That's why we got these four titles. Uh, each of us picked one. Uh, Jake went with Road to Perdition. I picked The Social Network. Kevin went with Bad Boys 2, and we let Gabe throw his two cents in, even though he's... I don't know. Gabe, are you going to be part of the commentary track? Oh, hey, look at that. Oh, Gabe's wow. going to bless us with the commentary track. Actually, hey, I just Sean. realized really quick that, that Gabe was telling you to rap, and so yes. we started telling you to rap, but people who are right. watching this at home didn't see yeah. Gabe, yeah. so they're going to think that you that right. Kevin and I just started telling you to wrap it up. 
what I loved about that moment was he was rapping Sean during the explanation of what the uh, <laughs> poll was going to be. But when it turned to Gabe being part of it, right. the rap went away immediately. It was Stretch. like, oh, Stretch rap it. what? Stretch what are you talking about? <laughs> so I want you guys to be his um, simultaneous rap. So when he gives the rap sign for the audience to see. We'll tell the audience. Yeah. yeah. I need you guys to do that. Anyway, the winner was David Fincher's The Social Network. And so your um, now- that was my pick, yes, and it got 35% oh, I, okay, so of the votes. I have, I have a question for you. So the yes. next time we do this, do our yes. three picks remain and then you just get a new pick? I don't see why not. Oh, no. Okay. Um, because, like, kinda, I'd like to do no, road to production no at some point. I, I yeah. have an idea. Yes. I have an idea. So since Sean went first, the next time yeah. we do a poll, the fourth slot has to be Forrest Gump. And if that gets chosen, we got to do Forrest Gump. I mean... That seems fair. Oh, cause, no, because because like now, because Forrest Gump is going to get chosen, and I don't want to watch Forrest Gump with Sean. That's just going to be a miserable experience. I think yeah, that would, would be. I, I would make no, sure I, that it's I, a miserable experience for you. I kind of would like to sit there and hear Sean's thoughts on it during the movie. I think that would be an interesting. If we do experience. that, then we have to do a commentary of Endgame, so that and that, that way you can wake me up at the end oh, of the movie when it's exciting, stop, and then I can say stop. something about it. You know, I love the fact that that movie is trending yeah. now. Because people just need joy in their lives during these Jake. really dark times. That's not no, 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 no. Let's 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 clarify. Yeah, the the end is trending. The final mm-hmm. action scene when yeah, things right. got good is trending. No. It's not like the entire eighteen-hour-long movie where nothing happened is trending. Hey, that hey, one Jake. scene is trending. Remember. Remember when the Rooster Brothers stuck a landing after eleven films and twenty? I'm oh, sorry, twenty three films in eleven years. They didn't. Remember when they, they did that? that? Like, they didn't. They didn't know what that's like. like. Twenty three films. Yeah. Let's ask JJ Abrams what that's like. JJ knows how hard it is. I like. He didn't do Rise it. Skywalker. I know you do. Uh, so anyway, the point being that I think we're going to be recording a commentary track for Social Network because you guys chose it. So we're going to pick and a much day. Much like Real Blade, it's about a group of friends that just start two. tearing each other apart and end up hating each other <laughs> after working on a project for quite some time. I would like to personally thank everybody who picked my movie. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart because I've been looking for a reason to go back and revisit the masterpiece from David Fincher. But we can also get to Road to Perdition uh, sometimes at some time, and I wouldn't mind doing I don't want to watch Road to Perdition with you anymore. Dude, I told you I need to catch up with it again, and I haven't, so this is a good opportunity to do so. So we'll figure that out and put it on our social media channels. I can't channels. get mad at you. are watching Leftovers for me. I can't get mad at you. I, I am, and I'm enjoying it too. I rewatched Bad Boys for Life last night, um, and- when Marvin shows up again from Bad Boys 2, that might be my favorite callback. <laughs> you guys know what today I, is, right? Bad Boys. Oh, 20, the anniversary of the first 25th one. 25th anniversary of Bad Boys. That's pretty awesome. Honestly, That's the best Bad Boys one. Everybody out there listening to this show, uh, I'm just going to plug in case you're watching us for the first time. We did interview the directors of Bad Boys for Life. That's available on Real Blend. Just search us on iTunes. Um, but watch Bad Boys 1 and 2. They're both on Netflix and Bad Boys for Life's on VOD. It's a great trilogy. It's really fun at home, too, to be honest. Uh, but speaking of other directors that we were able to interview, I teased at the beginning of the show that we sat down with Chris Ray, fantastic filmmaker who was bringing her movie called I Used to Go Here uh, to South by Southwest. We wanted to give her a platform to talk more about her filmmaking process, the distribution future of her film, and various other things about behind the scenes of making that comedy. So without further ado, this week's interview with the director of I Used to Go Here, Miss Chris Ray. So I had um, I Used to Go Here circled 
on my South by Southwest calendar. I was so excited to go down there in Austin and see it. And I was hoping that you could just sort of explain to our audience uh, who maybe have never been to South by or never even been to another big film festival like that, uh, what a film festival screening can mean to a movie and why fests like that are so important to the industry. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, the, the movie is an independent film, which means that we, we paid for the movie ourselves. They were like mm-hmm. uh, financiers, investors that like put money into it. And then we go to a festival. Well, there's two reasons you go. One is because you want to share the film with an audience and that's, that's the best way to do it with a movie at that stage. And, um, and then the big, you know, second reason is to try and sell it. So it's also a market. So you're presenting it to an audience and the hope is that these, um, not just, uh, film lovers are in the theater, but in addition, there's press and there are, um, distributors, people that are, um, their whole purpose is to buy independent films and then to, market them and put them out to the public, whether that's in theaters or selling it to a streaming service or something like that. So, um, so that, that's, you know, what we were really looking forward to is like, you know, we have this really fun movie. We were set to screen it in a theater that seats 500 people. That was, you know, more likely than not going to be a sold out screening full of enthusiastic, um, audience members who would hopefully laugh and have a good time. And, um, and we were certainly looking forward to like enjoying that aspect of it. For me as a director, I've been living with this movie, you know, I started writing the script probably three years ago. So I was like, it was all for this one moment. (laughs) So that was like a big disappointment. Um, just for me, like, you know, personally, but then in addition to that, we were really nervous because we thought, well, how are we going to sell the film? Yeah. And so that was, that was a question that we were interested in knowing is there, is, is this South by Southwest and Amazon combination that just came out yesterday, right. the news about the right. online screening festival. And it, there's a, a 10, I believe it's like a 10 day festival online uh, mm-hmm. And it looked like a, filmmakers had the choice of whether or not they could participate in that. So right. are you involved in that? Or have you been asked to do that? Where are you at with that now? Yeah, we were asked. I think everybody was asked. And um, right. unfortunately, we had to turn down the opportunity as much as I would love to do it. Um, I it, the the sort of the financiers and the people that have a, a vested interest in the movie being sold. Um, feel rightly that this would hurt possibly hurt our chances of actually selling the film. Um, How so? Well, if a a distributor, let's say, um, let's say IFC, let's say IFC or Sony or um, something like someone like that wanted Mm to buy the film, they would, maybe they would decide that they wanted to do a theatrical release. Um, and then they would want the film to be ultimately end up online, right? So it would yeah. ultimately go to Netflix or Amazon or one of those streaming services. And they would be afraid that the moment would have passed. So, like, oh. you know, if it's available on Amazon Prime and it's unlimited how many people can watch that, people mm-hmm. are, are excited about the movie, uh, you know, 
however many hundred thousand people watch it for free on Amazon, then later when the movie does start, it's like natural kind of like streaming service life that it'll be old news. Or if it, they do a theatrical release, people won't be motivated to go see it in the theater. Would it also be a piracy thing or would you be worried about piracy at all? Well, I don't know. That wasn't, <laughs> that didn't really come to, uh, you know, I don't really understand piracy. Can they just like get stuff off of Amazon Prime? I don't know how it works either. People record on their phones. But one thing, I guess I just have a quick follow up uh, to what you were just saying in regards to. So right now in the climate we're in with theaters not being open, theatrical releases obviously are are something that people are concerned about where where, where movies are going to start landing. So does this does this now want to make you push towards maybe making a deal with like a Netflix or a Hulu or uh, an Amazon to, to, to have your movie open there as like a VOD type of service? <sighs> maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there, I, I have another friend who, who, who also had a movie at South by who's, we, we've been talking about this a lot. Um, no, one, there's so much uncertainty right now. So, you right. know, there, there, there's, I mean, maybe by August, the people are able to go see movies in theaters again, in which case that would be, a, you know, it takes a while. It, there's no way, even if I sold the movie to Netflix tomorrow, that it would be up on Netflix next week. It takes right. a long time to like get everything in order to like actually go through the delivery process of a film. So, um, yes, there is, there is part of me that thinks like, well, if a streaming service wanted to buy it, then maybe we would just haul ass, and try and get the movie ready to like, I mean, if my movie premiered right now on Netflix, it's like a lot of fucking people are, are sitting at home right now, like ready to watch yeah. content. Right. Yeah. But, um, but part of me also thinks, you know, from a business standpoint, I mean, okay. Aside from that, I still have this hope that the movie can play in a theater. You know, That's I, what I yeah, want you to do. I, 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 it's yeah. like, it's like this movie is so funny and fun and, and it's like, ah, I'm so heartbroken that I didn't get to see it. And like a big theater full of people where, you know, where you really, it's so rare you laugh out loud by yourself on your couch, you know, you're like halfway texting your friends and like halfway watching a movie. Right. It's like, I really hope I'm still holding out hope that I'll be able to watch in a theater at some point. It sounds like your financers are also, holding out hope for that, which is a good sign because if, if they were like, maybe wanted to push it out as soon as possible, then the VOD thing, that's good that they're on the same page too, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, but then, you know, there's this whole other aspect right now that I'm curious about from a business standpoint, which is that no one's producing any content right now. So Mm -hmm. everything's been shut down. There's no one making movies. There's no one making TV shows. And there, you know, it's disrupted the flow of the supply and demand chain for, for entertainment. So part of me also feels like in, even if the movie is released in August, if things are still, you know, people are still isolating at that point, then that would still be an awesome time to premiere something online um, because people will still be hungry for content. And the thing that I want the most is for people to watch the movie Um, So, you know, I'm not, I don't think there's any scenario where we're going to hold the film for like another year and a half Mm. to like a time where it's like, things are definitely going to be in theaters. I think we're going to put it out like uh, at a timetable that makes sense. 
Well, you mentioned people being able to enjoy your movie um, and laugh. I'm going to tell you that your movie Swift kicked me in the gut multiple mm. times. Uh, because <laughs> personally, uh, I'm in the process of writing my first book. Oh, wow. <laughs> and cool. I texted the guys in the middle of the screening and saying, I'm going to abandon my book project. <laughs> oh, shit. There were just too yeah. many, uh, far too real moments. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's really good. To, I mean, that's bad for you. Sorry. But it's, it's <laughs> good for me to hear because I've never written a book and yeah. um, and so I didn't have that personal experience. I'm glad it like actually felt real to you. Well, the best part about it is like Kate's in this scenario where it's done and it's out there now. And the scene that literally my wife was in another room, I'm watching it on the TV in our living room and I let out such a groan uh, that she had to come in and be like, why, what happened? And I was like, well, she just got her New York Times review. Yeah. And the oh, the montage of those yeah. deadly adjectives. Aimless. Yeah, like, I was oh, like, yeah. like, boom, boom. <laughs> oh, that was my, my editor, Zach Clark, did that. He like really killed it. That part is so good. So I'm curious like what, where that comes from. I mean, obviously you're a creative person who's put yourself out there oh, a yeah. number of times. Is it just coming from, you know, putting out your art and letting it be judged uh, by other people? Yeah. I mean, that's so, Oh God. I mean, the worst thing, in fact, you know, in fact, I even got a review for this movie um, that I, I mostly got positive reviews, which has been great, but I, I got a review that it wasn't negative, but there, there were like a couple of lines in there that were like, yeah, but she like, what was up with this? And I'm not even going to say it out loud, <laughs> but, the, but, but what was so hard about, about reading that is that they were totally spot on. They were right. Like yeah. that they, they were like the, you know, they were talking about some aspects of the film that I think, you know, maybe other people that were fans of it would have argued and said like, that's not true. But me being the creator and being, being the most like vulnerable was like, yeah, they're, they're right. That part is kind of fucked. Like I didn't nail that. And mm -hmm. I think that's like what's going on with her in that moment too, is that she, she really knows her book isn't good and having that confirmed. Oh God. You know, yeah, it's horrible. The gag about the cover too really late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was that really is fun. from personal experience. I hate the cover of, of my last film so bad. Or not the cover, the poster, the, the poster. poster. I just like, oh, I just hate it. And sometimes yeah. you just have to let it go, I guess, right? You have to sort of yeah. <laughs> let that marketing Well, yeah, I mean, I haven't. I'm still harboring um, <laughs> anger. There's a... There's a, like a, a line in the film where you t where she talks about this idea of her book being restrained, right? And kind of real life being right. more restrained and the story she was telling was more bold. Or I'm sorry, the yeah. stories that you see in movies and books are more bold. And she chose to go a more restrained route with her own book, uh, which right. didn't connect somehow with the reviews and, and people. Um, so I was just curious as a filmmaker, are those lenses that you also look through in regards to when you make a movie do you want your film to you want your films to be more restrained more bold do you think about finding a fine line there because i feel like what happens in your film feels like a real story and a real life story and i'm characters that i actually connect to it's not a superhero movie something like that so do you find like a balance between restrained and bold as a filmmaker oh my god i mean th that that's all like that all of that sentiment is like totally personal as a creative person where I, I struggle. Um, I struggle writing anything that doesn't feel like it could happen in real life. 
Interesting. Um, I, I, that's like where I, that's where I draw my stories from. And, and I, if something doesn't feel realistic, I, I just can, I just can't seem to write it. And that's part of what people like about my movies is that if they do feel real, they're right. really grounded. Um, and this one is more of a stretch than anything else I've done because there's sort of some wacky parts and funny characters and stuff. Yeah. But even in that realm, they're still pretty grounded, you know, considering. Um, but I like stuff that's crazier than that. I like stuff mm. that's bolder and I respect it and I want to stretch myself creatively toward that, but I just can't. And part of it is, is maybe I'm just unpracticed. And part of it I think is that I have a fear of doing that. Mm. It's like much easier, I think, to, to, to make something that feels more real because you can always, you know, defend it with, yeah. with what is actually happening or what's happened to you or people, you know, whereas like, I don't know. Yeah. My, I just struggle with that myself. So I think yeah, like, I, I found that to be a really interesting dynamic that, that I, I just never really thought about it like that. And, and it made me think about what films seem more restrained and what films seem more bold and maybe what films find that center ground. So uh, it's, yeah, thank you for answering that. I just thought that was a very interesting line. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Chris, I just think that the character of Kate is so perfectly tailored to Jillian. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because there are moments where when she regresses a little bit and falls back into the college routine, if it's another actress, you almost don't believe it. Right. Like you, you right. like, Oh, she's too far removed from this scenario. Yeah. I can't buy that. Did Kate on paper change after you cast her or were you just so lucky to, to have the two seamlessly mold together? Um, I want to say definitely I was lucky. I think Gillian is just like, uh, she's just like, Gillian is really, she's just really a fucking great actress. Yeah. She's really, really good. And, and then, all, and then I think, you know, she got attached early enough that as I, as I went back, I think I had like a year where she was attached to play the role before we actually shot. Okay. So I, when I went back and did drafts and, and rejiggered things, I didn't change anything crazy, but having her in my mind was, was really useful. And then in addition to that, when we got to set and started working, Gillian definitely had influence over, um, over lines of dialogue or, um, you know, moments that happened, we would talk at length about like, you know, would Kate do this? And, and she would definitely weigh in and, um, and decisions were certainly made like based on her input. Mm -hmm. The Bradley Cooper uh, bit is such a, it's so deliberate, obviously, because the name is so <laughs> recognizable. Uh, and there's, there's even a moment where Yorma even says, I just go by Brad now, because I, I would assume <laughs> that within the world of your movie, Bradley Cooper also exists. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. So I was curious where, where that came about. Like, why was that so, <laughs> it was so specific. <laughs> it's it's it so really funny. Came, I just want to know why. It's like, I mean, I don't know if my answer is going to be satisfying or not. It's because I wanted that character I, when I was like, came up with that idea of her just like hooking up with this guy that she, that she had like known when she was in school, you know, there's always those people that just like stick around yeah. the co college and, and like, and, and I think like 
that's what she is kind of tempted to do. So I loved that she was like faced with someone that's actually made that decision and could see like, you know, they seem cool at first yeah. and attractive and like whatever. And then she can see that they're just like a fucking skis ball. Right. And, and, and I, and I thought I really want this character to be one of those friends, one of those people that, you know, that no matter how long you know them, you call them by your first and last name. <laughs> right, 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 right. Because I have, I sir, I have like friends that I always call by their first right. and last name, you know? And, the, and I, I was thinking that sometimes I get stuck on names and I was just like, all I could think of was Bradley Cooper. And I knew, <laughs> and I knew that Bradley Cooper, I couldn't use it because he's a real famous person. So I was like, you can't use Bradley Cooper, but I just put it in as a, um, as placeholder. And then after time, I was like, fuck it. <laughs> Bradley Cooper's <laughs> such a, Bradley Cooper's such a commonplace name. It's not like I named him Arnold Schwarzenegger or something, you know, it's Tom like, Cruise. there's probably, a, right. There's probably a million Bradley Coopers out there. It's just like Bradley and Cooper are such common names. Yeah. Yeah. So does he yeah. know about this? I have no idea. Probably Wait, not. Wait a second. So once the movie comes out <laughs> and that bit becomes like a thing, like, are you like, is, is, is there a worry about using the name at all? Or is it, you, no, is, is no. It legally you're okay. Clear. Yeah, legally we're okay because it's such a common name. And all they, <laughs> and all they care about legally is, is there a Bradley Cooper, is there like a well-known Bradley Cooper in Carbondale, Illinois, which is where the movie takes place? Oh, Wow. So, and they couldn't find one. So we cleared it, but like, but there's other things that, that like, you know, like you coming up with like a title of a book. I think our original title for her book was seasons pass. And what we ended up with was seasons past and in past tense P A S S E D because seasons pass is already some like self-published young adult novel that is like, it's not, I mean, it's not a famous series, but it's like they found it on Amazon. And so they were like, you can't use it. But Bradley Cooper cleared. <laughs> <laughs> that that might be my favorite yes. clearing of a name I've ever heard. Yeah. It's yeah. just so <laughs> random. <laughs> and I was so uh, happy that Yorma got to play him. <laughs> <laughs> and we were discussing offline earlier about how he has great line delivery. But go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. Um, there's another great part in the movie, too. A very significant part that you put yourself in. And I'm curious right. uh, why a director casts herself as the other woman on social Here, media. Here's, here's why, which is that <laughs> a totally practical reason, which is that I was like, okay, we got to shoot this on Sunday. And, and in my mind, I was like, this is like such a, it's just such a small thing. Like, I'm not going to go through the process of like casting someone, you right. know, and paying them. So we were just like trying to scrimp and save however much we could. And it would have cost us 250 bucks to like pay someone to be this person. And the guy, the guy who is Michael, her ex, yeah. the, his voice is my friend, Alex Ross Perry, who's another um, filmmaker. Yeah, sure. I don't know if you know who that is. So that's yeah. his voice. And then yeah. him, the, 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 his picture of him is my my first ad's husband um, Declan. <laughs> so i was like 
uh, I was like, okay, I know Declan really well. We'll just pretend to be a couple. And it just was like the easiest thing to do. A follow up on what Sean asked. Uh, I'm only going to follow up because I'm curious to know now. Did you just do, did you just have a day of shooting just Instagram pictures? Like, like to get those photos? So, so, so like I said, Declan's husband is my first AD, Morgan. And we were going on, we were going on location scouts and we went and Declan was coming along. So we went to go check out the, the lake in Wisconsin that we shot the, all the lake stuff at. So we drove to Wisconsin and Declan was just there. So we were like, let's shoot all of the Instagram pictures. <laughs> that was good. So it was all, I mean, it was like all just for ease, but it worked out. I and then I, I didn't, I didn't like think about the fact that she was going to like zoom in on my face. So I'm like very present. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to not to recognize you. <laughs> um, there was a line in this movie where I think the comedic timing was so perfect. And it's not the line I mentioned earlier. It's just the guy saying my name is Animal. And, it, and, and, and the way he says it is so dry and so like matter of fact, like this is just normal. My name is Animal. And like the, <laughs> yeah. the way the way you cut it is perfect. Like the editing is perfect because it's almost like you just you don't even let it linger. He just says it. We move on. <laughs> Uh, and I was just curious, like, what that looks like for you as a writer. And then the day you shoot it, do you know it's going to play that quickly in the edit? Or do you find that comedy in the edit? Oh, my God. I wish my editor were here to have this interview with me because he did so much work on that. Yeah, we well, the, the delivery. I mean, Forrest Goodluck, who plays Animal, is just like <laughs> it's so, so fucking good. He's so good. And he's I just like I. Uh, I just could go on and on about how, what a good actor he is. He gave me such great naturalistic performances, but then in the script I wrote, you know, I, I wrote the dialogue animal, you know, my name's animal. <laughs> and then in parentheses, I wrote normal name. So it was like, it was like, he, he had the direction. He had the direction of just like knowing that this guy doesn't even think it's weird. He says it and so perfectly. I know. He's so great. But then actually the scene went on like she in the script and we shot it like this. Gillian says, wait, did you say animal? And then we cut back to him and he goes, yeah. And and for some reason, we just couldn't get the time. The comedy just like wasn't there. So we like worked on that scene and worked on that scene and ended up cutting that out. So there's just like a nod from Gillian. <laughs> and and that I'm so glad it hit for you guys. I mean, this is like, this is what it is so sad about not having seen the movie with an audience. It's like, sure. you're not sure if this stuff lands until you watch it with a big crowd of people. Um, so it's great to hear that it landed for you. I don't know why that was that just stuck out to me. I literally I was taking notes. I wrote down my name is Animal. I have to ask about that. <laughs> it was just re- it was so random, but it was like it was. I feel like the edit was what made it like perfect. You know, that's so right, cool. I, I know we're running out of time. I want to go big picture on the last one. Uh, it just seems too surreal to me that you have someone whose story is catapulted by a, a book tour being canceled. You know, like she's anticipating. Isn't that this- weird? It's yeah. just so bizarre, you know? So know. I'm, I'm just curious, like, as this is happening to you and, you know, South By is fading away and were you able to take any lessons away from what you wrote about Kate's journey? And apply I mean, to- I actually, I actually didn't make the connection until I was getting, I was getting interviewed by the Chicago Tribune and she made that connection. I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. 
her book tour gets canceled and everything. Um, I, I would love to run away right now to a college town and have any kind of experience to fill the <laughs> void of my, of my movie's premiere being canceled. But, um, alas, I have to, I just have to come to terms with it emotionally by myself in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Where would be your college to run away to? What, what's your, well, it would be that one, uh, Southern Illinois university, which is where I went to school and where the movie okay. is based in Carbondale, Illinois. So yeah. Okay. It was, it was, it was interesting watching it. And I know we, we are to let you go, but it was interesting watching the movie just to just more of a comment on a question. Uh, I just I, I imagine what it would be like to go back to school and kind of like what I what I want to re in what I want to re put myself into that lifestyle what I what I like it like I don't I don't know and it's a weird thing because when you're in college it's strange it, it actually makes you think a lot about your own self what you would do. yeah yeah and yeah. and I think it's like it's strange at this age you know I'm assuming you guys are around the same age as me it's like you consider yourself kind of cool still and yeah, like yeah. young. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not like, adult yet. You kidding yeah, me? Yeah, and, like, and like, you're like, yeah, I could vibe. Like, a college kids would love me. They would think I was so cool. I could vibe at a party and they would probably all think I was awesome. And, and like, you know, you can understand. You can relate to the temptation of that for sure. Yeah, I wonder, like, would I, would I be noticeable to party? I probably, I'm 35, so I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if I can pull it off. I don't think I can do it. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm so old that the scene I most connected (laughs) with is when she finally got breakfast. (laughs) This is so rewarding. She's finally, that breakfast looked uh, amazing. So good. And And oddly enough, that's the scene he connected to. The scene I connected to the most was the uh, snapping of the photo with the flash. That's happened to me so many times. Oh, like, that's happened to me too. That's why it's the there. most embarrassing thing ever yes. when someone catches your flash and you. Have, and I love that she like uh, that was like, exactly my reaction. I was like, oh, and my phone's just randomly flashing. <laughs> randomly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, tell good. everybody where they can follow the progress of the film. So uh, once you get a distribution deal, oh my god, I don't know. They could probably follow me on Instagram. My name is Chris Ray, Chris Ray, Chris okay. Ray, Chris Ray on Instagram and they can just follow me and they can, and I'm, you know, posting about the movie. We don't have like a website or, or anything like that. Okay. Well, as soon as we hear some more news about distribution as well, too, we'll be happy to pass it along to our. Okay, listeners. great. So cool. thanks so much thanks for joining so much. us. Yeah, thanks, we really guys. appreciate it. We want to thank Chris Ray for coming on the show and talking to us about her movie. Obviously, as soon as we have details about when it's going to be coming to uh, theaters or a streaming service, we will share those with you guys. So speaking about uncertainty about what's going to um, theaters and streaming services, you know, not a lot of the news around this kind of happened and then we moved on. Whereas when Universal put Trolls World Tour uh, onto streaming or made it available on VOD. Which comes out this week. Yeah, and it was like a huge seismic event, you know, where uh, a movie skipped the theatrical release and went right to video. Yet, Disney's doing the exact same thing with Artemis Fowl. It's the first movie, you know, everyone was talking about Mulan or Black Widow or either of them going to make the jump to Disney+. Plus. Neither of them are. They actually have new release dates. But instead, Artemis Fowl, um, which is a literary adaptation uh, done by Kenneth Branagh, that is going to go straight to Disney+. Plus. Uh, skip its theatrical. So I I mean, I think that that's as huge of a move as Universal doing Trolls. I mean, Jake, you say that, but it's still a major theater skipping its theatrical window and going to a streaming all, service. All Disney did was avoid the press of a $100 million movie that was about to bomb at the box office. Like that movie was going to open at the end of May and it was $100 million. And I don't know anybody that was excited about it 
All they did right. was end up looking like the good guy by putting it on their streaming service when in actuality they just avoided a lot of really, really bad press. I also feel like Trolls World Tour. I, I, I don't – did that really have – I mean, again, I were far, we were far enough out when it got yeah, pushed. Did, but didn't I we didn't, say everything we needed to say with the first Trolls? Yeah. I, I just really found that Trolls was like – that was probably an easier move, right? Because I don't know how well Trolls 2 would have done. I know Trolls 1 did well. But I just didn't find or feel like a need for a Trolls 2. So maybe it was like to Jake's point about the Disney movie, uh, if you're dealing with a film that you maybe might have not done tons of money at the box office and could do better at home, maybe that's the way to strategize. You know, I don't know. Maybe- I just see it as a precedent. Like it's just it's setting a precedent that a no. major studio is moving a, a film that was going to go to theaters. And I admit you're right. I mean, I agree with you on the fact that Artemis Fowl probably wasn't going to break the bank. And it's a safer movie to them to move to Disney Plus. But there's a reason why they're not moving. Yeah. Yeah, but they're not moving Black Widow. They're not moving like these major tent poles because they like to Jake's point. Why do you choose that film to go to VOD? Because like Jake said, you're probably it's probably the smartest one of the bunch to put on VOD that would not reflect poorly on the the studio. I really think so. Like if, If they moved Black Widow tomorrow. That would be a that's a seismic problem. shift. Like that's when right. we start talking about wait, what is about to happen? Right. Um, okay. But yeah, I I really don't th- unless we're talking about a movie that was going to open fifty million. Like even I would even be uh, amazed if somehow uh, a Quiet Place Part Two had ended up on VOD. Like that would that's when I would go okay, maybe we're really venturing into something. But Artemis and that was Fowl tracking at like and, and, 60, right? Yeah, yeah. But Artemis yeah. Fowl and Trolls 2, that, that doesn't get my blood pressure up. Yeah, so you're saying Quiet they were Place, trying to – I'm sorry. I, I just think the interesting thing about Quiet Place is that is that you're – with that film being indefinitely postponed, I wonder how, how early they had that September 4th date locked in. Do you think they knew it was September 4th when they delayed it? And just no, didn't announce so. it. No, no. Well, you, think they, think, you think they found it within the delay? I mean, keep in mind, yeah. whenever they delayed it, we didn't really have, not that we have now, but we didn't really have any kind of a grasp on what the timeline for this whole deal was going to be. Um, so I, right. you know, I, and I still think that they're continuously figuring things out. You know, I still, I, I think that there ha- are, there are movies that have received new dates that are going to end up being pushed back as we continue to, you know, evolve our understanding of, of what this timeline is going to be. Right. And that goes into that question. Yeah. Yeah, so Wonder Woman claimed an August date. It didn't jump back as far as some of the other ones that moved all the way to 2021 to be safe. Morbius went to 2021. Uh, F9 went to 2021 just to let everything sort of clear out. Um, but with Wonder Woman taking August, a bunch of September ones. We talked about Quiet Place going in September. Candyman uh, delayed till September 25th. A few of them kept there. Like Venom 2 still has an August, uh, October, I'm sorry, October release date. Uh, but I'll, I'll bring this topic up now and I'll let you guys go off and then we're going to come back and talk about the Marvel slate. Jake, you're fairly convinced that some of these July titles uh, that are holding out hope and and by holding on to their July titles, they're largely saying the theaters probably will open in June and we'll get a couple of weeks to, to ramp back up um, that the July slate could stay where it is. Wait, what went at the end of July? Mulan. Mulan went at the end of yeah. July, right? Yeah. Okay, so you don't think Mulan or Tenant. Right. I mean, and, and, and that's exactly my point, which is we're not talking about the world getting back to normal in July, which it may it may very well do that. What we're talking about in order to pull off a massive <laughs> release for, for movies like that, like movies that are what, 150, 200 million dollar budgets. We're talking yeah. about the world needing to go back to normal 
a month plus in advance. So we're talking about the okay. world needing to start heading back into normalcy end of May, beginning of June to kind of, right. if anything, to allow movie theaters, not just movie theaters, but to allow movie theaters to ramp back up and all progressively start having a couple of weeks to kind of warm up and kind of start trying to lure people back into theaters, but then also allowing uh, us as a society and our economy to kind of get the wheels turning again, to kind of start getting all of us back into normalcy. And, I, and you have to think about whenever you're releasing a movie that that is a, a $200 million gamble, essentially, uh, you want to ensure that the circumstances are such so that the maximum number of people can go see your movie. And I feel like if I'm Warner Brothers or I'm Disney, and right now, I mean, we have experts, we have scientists who are basically saying, we don't know. Like, we don't, like, you know, I know everyone wants a definitive light at the end of the tunnel. They want a date as to when this is going to be over. But people are saying, we don't know. And so if you've got this $200 million blockbuster, you're not going to put it out on an if. We're like, we think people are going to be ready to go. Like, you you want to be entirely sure that people are ready to go. Like, not only am I unsure about the July release dates for Tenet and Mulan, I'm I quite honestly unsure about that August release date for Wonder Woman. Come September, I'm feeling pretty confident. And also those movies have a lot less to lose. Like, I mean, we're, you know, uh, Candyman and Quiet Place are not Mulan and Tenet. We're talking two different, completely yeah. different games. And I just sure. think that the timeline in which we, as moviegoers, movie theaters, and economy as a society need to be back, greased wheels, back to normal. I, I think the timeline is too soon to have a major movie drop by the end of July. Kev, thoughts? Um. I mean, this is the, this is a, a, a more of a discussion about um, emotion versus logic. Uh, <laughs> so, in regards to me specifically, I, I I think I'm just looking at this from a, a super optimistic standpoint in the sense of not 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 obviously we all want theaters to become back to to the way they were. Uh, you know, we spoke to Jeffrey Katzenberg yesterday, Jake and I did for Quibi, and uh, he sees definitely a future for the movie business. Doesn't know what it's going to be, but with this particular situation. With the August move to Wonder Woman from June to August and then the Milan move from March to July, when you start putting things within that July-August window, you're starting to maybe look at a light at the end of the tunnel kind of situation, right? Where you start thinking hopefully about maybe whether or not we could be – what if we're, what if we're you know, through the end of April? We're great uh, in the mid-May. Again, I, don't, I have no idea the science – uh, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like with Jake, you're saying like it could be August or September. That's also uh, is just as much of a guess as July and August would be, I would argue, because we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea. You know, obviously, there are guesses as to when things are going to peak and when things are not going to peak and different waves they're going to come. So I don't know. We saw China, right? They closed their theaters. They reopened their theaters and then, you know, and then they closed them again. So, I, you know, I have no idea that's going to happen for us. So I think to Jake's point. They're placing these films in these placeholders because, you know, it, maybe they're grabbing those dates just in case we're able to reopen. Um, the other side of it would be, do they truly see a possibility that theaters could reopen? By placing Mulan but they don't, they don't see anything, though. Like, they're, they're, they're watching the same news we are. It's, like, it's not like no. they have an insight in, as, to, as to, like, what's uh, going well, on let in me, the world. Let me throw something out there, too, just as a thought. Um, because you hear certain politicians who talk about like, we have to get the economy going again. We have to open back up regardless, right? I think some of these businesses are going to get a breaking point financially where they just are going to have to open, you know, yeah. and, and, and let people kind of come if they want to come. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I don't like, I think you're going to, you'll see an easing off of the strictest social restrictions. Um, and it'll allow some businesses to open. I don't know when, but it almost, and, and each week it's a different scenario. It feels like we're faced with a different, so you're talking two months from now, if we get through April and May, hypothetically. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. April and May means you could start ramping things up into June and July. I just, right. I'm going to bring up AMC theaters as an example. Like they, that, that guy's their CEO went on uh, the news yesterday and said, they're just bleeding cash, yeah. you know? <laughs> and unless they get financial help, they're not going to be around. So I almost feel like they're going to have to figure out a way to just, just open so they can earn some money, but I'm not but quite how, sure. How can you, how can you say just open when you have like every major city in the country with their governors and their mayors telling people to stay home? You can't, I mean, you can't yeah. like, say, well, I'm a movie theater. Yeah. I need money. So like, I'm just going to open up. And, and I mean, even then, you could open up all you want to, like like the AMC down the street from me could open up tomorrow. There's still no movies. There's no there's no movies yeah. for them to play. I, I, I yeah. guess my 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 idea of a movie theater is no different than a restaurant. Um, I think there's a, it's a crowd of people in a in a enclosed space, and people it, more so in a restaurant. You're talking, you know, your particles are flying out of your mouth. Uh, I, you know, obviously that happens when you're in a movie theater, chewing and talking to your friends as well. But you know, so. I guess if you're thinking that movie theaters aren't going to be open until August or September, that means restaurants as well. So to Sean's point, I would argue that, again, this is just my, you know, I'm just comparing the two because they're crowded spaces. It, it's it's different though. That's, well, that's apples on. and oranges. Because restaurants can do takeout. That's the thing that it helps yeah. them, that they can do a takeout and do some yeah. partial business. I'm t- no, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about opening restaurants. Like, yeah, but like, like this, the yeah, sushi yeah. place down from me could open tomorrow and like be like black and white and be good to go and turn on the lights and they can start serving sushi. The AMC turns on their lights tomorrow. What are they going to play? Like, I don't. I don't think yeah. it's a, it's a similar comparison between theaters and and restaurants. Oh no, because like, restaurants. Wait, wait, like wait, wait. No, no, no. You're comparing operations. I'm comparing crowds. Uh, you're comparing the operations yeah. of a restaurant. I'm comparing the the people that are in the restaurant and the movie theaters. My the only point I want to make and this is the last thing I'll say. Just going back to what I said at the beginning of of the discussion. My my opinion of this comes more from an emotional standpoint because I I, I love that tenant hasn't moved. I, I love that tenant is staying in place on July 17th at this moment. Mulan moving to the 24th of July gives me some hope that tenant might stay there if Disney somehow thinks Mulan might open. To Jake's point, yes, it's unknown. I do not know if it's going to happen. I think I'm hopeful because I would love to see a day where people return to the movie theaters to Chris Nolan's tenant. I think that would be the one of the coolest stories ever. You know, him returning back, the guy that wants to save cinemas that that re- redesigned the entire cinematic experience. And this is the guy that brings us home. Okay, I just so, so, like, so turning off That's your all. emotion, turning off your heart for a second, and turning on the mm-hmm. logic side of Kevin McCarthy. Right. Logically, do you think the tenant stays <laughs> at July 17th? See, and Sean and, made and, and, uh, and is this worth a bet? To be to be honest with you, Ooh. Sean made an interesting point just now. Why I did. couldn't why couldn't April and May completely turn us around and then we go into June? And that gives you a month and a half to ramp up tenant press. It's optimistic. Do, How is that not know, possible? Do you know why I think that's not possible? Because right outside my window, I could see the beachfront of Chicago, Illinois, and it's a 70 degree day and there are crowds of people walking oh. around. That's why I think it's oh, for real. Oh, oh. All right. Well, first of all, if we're going to get into the, I know we're not going to go down this path, but, you know, talking that's about the social distance thing. But yeah, exactly. But the social distancing aspect of things. Listen, I, I there are tons of stories out there that would say, Kevin, you are wrong. There's no chance the movie's going to open up on July 17th. And I'm if I'm a betting man. I'm putting money on it. I'm probably going ra- down Jake's route, but I don't want to put that into the air. I want to keep it in my head that Tenet 
is what brings us back in 70 millimeter IMAX. I promise you this, and I'll say this on the on the show. If if Tenant opens on July 17th, I will see Tenant 10 times in 70 millimeter IMAX and prove it. Kevin, I, I love that what I'm about to say, you finally understand what it means. I feel like you're the John Locke of this show and I'm the Jack Shepard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see like, that. I'm the man of science and you're the man of faith. All That's right, true. Fair enough. I get Jake's point though. I get it. I want to get to uh, some movement at the theaters that really is important to me. Maybe not so much to you guys, um, but the Marvel slate. The Marvel slate is completely rejiggered now at this point. Uh, everything just moved backwards. And so the new dates word. that are available. Thank you. Uh, Black Widow takes the eternal spot and everything moves backwards from that point on. I just want to talk about some of the ramifications of it uh, because it puts some movies in weird positions. I don't want to get you guys' opinions on this. Um, obviously, we won't have a Marvel movie um, from Spider-Man Far From Home, which was July of Isn't that uh, crazy 20, that that's the last Marvel movie that we've seen? Yes. And now the next one arriving will be Black Widow in November 6th. So a full a year and a half uh, between wow. their slate. And they were ramped up to a point where they were going to start doing three a year. And now because of everything that's happening, they're, they're far delayed. Black Widow makes sense in November. I think Black Widow will be fine in November. The Eternals as a new origin story-ish even kind of works in this February 12th slot, which it now has. Shang-Chi moves to May 7th, 2021. And that to me is very unusual. This is a brand new hero that nobody really knows, no household recognition name to them. Um, and that's theoretically, if everything holds, going to be the summer blockbuster kickoff slot, which goes to large I guess you could argue the same thing for Guardians though, but that was August. Uh, sure. Yeah, it was. But like, I thought the May kickoff slot should be at Guardians mm-hmm. 3, you know, or or uh, it, was well, it was supposed to be Doctor be, Strange it? 2. Yeah. It was supposed to be, yeah, a long time ago before Disney fired James Gunn. But even when it was Doctor Strange 2, that made a little bit of sense. It was a sequel to a property that, that people kind of understood. So Shang-Chi yeah. is going to kick off the summer blockbuster season in 2021. That moves Doctor Strange 2 back to November. Thor Love and Thunder follows it. And now they've confirmed Black Panther 2 and Captain Marvel. Is there any so chance that's your that, next that seven Shang-Chi Marvel films. shows up in any of the earlier films, much like how like Black Panther showed up in Civil War to kind of give like a like a soft introduction? Probably Is there any chance that they would like now maybe not even the stinger, but like in, in a low-key role, like like Black Panther was in Civil War, just to kind of like introduce who he is to people? Definitely not in Black Widow, because I'm pretty sure that's done. Right. Um, but Eternals now has the ability to go back and reshoot some stuff or or add some right. stuff. Um, so, yes, there's a very real possibility that they introduce the character in that way. To Jake's point back uh, uh, and regarding like what with the unknown of the scenario that we're in, uh, a lot of these movies you're talking about were, were either in pre-production, production, whatever. Some of these films, yep. obviously, um, depending on how long this lasts, if this keeps going, uh, how does that affect the sleep? I, mean, I, I would imagine like Falcon and the Winter Soldier probably has story points that factor into what happens yeah. in Black Widow. I would imagine that WandaVision has things. I mean, I don't understand how Kevin Feige's even I'm, – I'm envisioning that that Christopher Nolan chalkboard when he's explaining Inception or whatever it was or Memento or something. I can't remember what it was, but that's how it, like, Listen, Feige's head must look. I have a lot of confidence in Kevin Feige, but I guarantee you he's having sleepless nights right now. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. He is balancing a connected universe. And you're right. It's the Disney Plus shows. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier were going to have an impact on movies like uh, The Eternals and I think even Shang-Chi. WandaVision was supposed to feed directly into Doctor Strange, and now that's not coming till November 
of next year. So I wonder if those get delayed, which is weird because Disney Plus is struggling as it is and they need original content. So you think they'd want to rush those shows uh, into theaters, but But it almost feels like, well, they're not done. And it almost, so when I threw out Jake earlier that like theaters need to figure out a way to just open, you're right. Theoretically, they can't do that because they don't have product to show. But in in a similar way that like you hear discussions at the NBA and the MLB are discussing like how can we get games going? You know, Phoenix, how can we do yeah. an NBA playoffs or some such? I think movie studios and television studios are also having discussions of just like how can we ramp back up? How can we get production going again? Because it's a lot of jobs. It's a lot of people who are losing money right now as those uh, studios are closed down and not filming. The answer is drive-ins. Yeah. Think about Wait, it. No, I'm, I mean creation of movies. Like go, no, like I a, know, like I know. Studio. But that could be a good that could be a good way for maybe to roll out for a little bit, like just have have drive-ins make a comeback. Yeah, but there are there are less than three hundred and fifty drive-ins like in in the country. Alone. Yeah, like that. Like that's you're so negative. Could, Why are you? Could be a slow way to roll it out. I'm a journalist. Oh, no. Kevin has great ideas. I have facts. Yeah, Kevin has great I ideas. Have facts is what I to have. Jake's point. Boo. To Jake's point. Boo facts. Boo facts. You want to be that guy right now? <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's wrong about um, the shark and jaws, I mean, generally yeah. he is is giving information that is factual. I'm just giving an emotional. I'd, li- I'd like to be on the record that I am you know? choosing to walk away. I'm choosing to walk away. Thank you. Give me, f- thank give you. Give me you facts. Know, hey, on- hey, 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 Sean. Jake didn't take the shark bait. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good, Kev. It's pretty good. Is it right? Is it? Give me facts. Give me facts on Quibi. I want to know what Quibi is. I, he, I keep hearing the term Quibi. I see some sites reviewing Quibi content. I literally, as the old man on this podcast, have no clue what this is. Do I need to know? Or is it a flash in the pan that's going to go away in a couple of months? It's basically like a, a, a short form piece of media that lives spe- specifically on your phone or tablet. It does not work on your, on your computer, I guess on your television screens. They prefer it to be on a cell phone. Okay. Uh, I guess it does. It will download on a tablet, but I guess the full experience is more on the phone with the flipping back and forth. Uh, and essentially, it's ten minutes or less. So every single bit in the in the actual program, if, if it's a series of shows, like for example, Chance the Rapper, Jake, I know he has the Punk mm-hmm. Show, and uh, his first episode is six minutes. So I think it's ten minutes or less for every episode, and a bunch of celebrities are involved. Jennifer Lopez has a show on there called Thanks Thanks a Million. Uh, which, which is more like a pay it forward show where celebrities give a hundred thousand uh, dollars to someone who had an impact on their lives. And that person then gives half of that to somebody who had an impact on their life. Kind of more of a pay it forward type of idea. Will Smith has a, uh, a comedy series. I think it's called the Joker. Um, and I think it's going to be 16 episodes hosted by him with comedians uh, in, in that short format. Uh, and then Spielberg, obviously the Spielberg. After this is, Dark explain this. The series. thing that you told me about this, I'm not going to watch it, but it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> You're not going to watch it? Why? I'm not going to sit here and stare at my phone for 10 minutes at a time. Kevin, this seems to speak against this seems to speak against everything that you love as, as oh, a filmmaker or a storyteller, though. I will tell you exactly why I, uh, I it, my thought process is the opposite. So in okay. this particular case, they're making content that's designed for your phone consumption. So, for example, they're not making a two-hour Dunkirk and putting it on your cell phone to watch on Quibi. They're giving you okay. six or seven-minute bursts of content that you can watch in between your day. So let's say you're eating lunch. You want to watch two episodes of, of Chance the Rapper's show. And I, I'm not trying to make this an ad for Quibi. I just I just don't think it's anything like like the like you know the theatrical experience versus the home experience. This is a 10-minute cell phone-based complete. It sounds window. like a TikTok. It's just like a TikTok. Well, 
So, for example, Spielberg's show After Dark. Um, <laughs> this sounds awesome. Spielberg's show, they're, they're creating a technology in the app that allows his show to only play at night on your phone. Um, so yeah. when the sun comes up, the, the, the show will disappear, then reappear once the uh, sun goes down. And so Spielberg, you know, imagines, I guess, imagines you in your bed at night about to go to sleep, right? And just on your phone, and you Ooh. watch a six or seven minute episode <laughs> of After Dark. But <laughs> I mean, again, I don't want to get too geeky, but and because I want Jake to speak on it too, because he spoke to Katzenberg as well. But one of the things that I found interesting about it was the vertical and horizontal shifting of the, uh, and I just think that's one of the most incredible things because it's so frustrating when you try to watch a video that was shot vertically, then you try to turn it and you get the black bars in the left and right. And yeah. the idea of them streaming two videos simultaneously that you can seamlessly transition back and forth from is just incredible to me. It's almost like you get two versions of the of, of the shot. So, for example, if Chance the Rapper is in the middle of a punked episode and you're watching him vertically, you can see his head and his shirt and his pants or whatever. But if you turn it this way, you get more of the of the actual like, you know, I guess the X to Y axis, I, I guess what you would call it, left to right of the screen. So the more widescreen mm -hmm. aspect of it. So to me, it's a super convenient experience. I think it's cool that filmmakers are utilizing certain aspects of it to play into their storytelling. And to the point about whether or not it speaks against my love for cinema, it is a cell phone based app that is designed for that type of consumption. So that's why I don't have a problem with it. If Spielberg wants to put a, a mini series or out called after dark on my phone that I can watch in my bed that I can turn back and forth and watch in different aspect ratios. Wait, and what's his role in it though? Just producer. He's producer. No, I think he's the, I think he created the show and wrote it. I want to say, I don't know if he's directing it, but I know Gail, Guillermo del Toro is doing a horror series. Okay. Someone double check on the Spielberg part of it, but I, it, it's his series. So I know okay. um, he created it. I want to say he wrote it. Uh, it sounds awesome. I think I just think that it's a cool, it's a clever app. Um, but again, it this goes is our to that chance thing. to get at, at home with Nolan, Kev. Yeah, if Nolan did a, a series where he just recorded himself with at Kevin. home. Kevin and yeah. I are fascinated with the concept of Christopher Nolan in his house, just doing things like yeah. making breakfast. Yeah, and Sean and I had a, but he does things in a different order. So he makes breakfast at like three o'clock in the afternoon. Like the time is all <laughs> time's all messed up. <laughs> The other day, the other day, uh, Sean and I, I think we, we had just finished interviewing Chris Ray uh, for that movie and Gabe had hung up uh, and I think, uh, Jake, you were dealing with something that was pretty funny. Um, and uh, I, I, so we did the interview and then we got off and then Sean and I were on a split screen having like a five minute discussion, asking the question of what we think Nolan does at home on a daily yeah. basis. Like, could you imagine Nolan disciplining his children, uh, you know, doing homework? I can't see it. Because he's just sweatpants and a t-shirt. Christopher Nolan. I can't see him like being. Like, and what do you, you think? Like when his kids are being brats and they like want to <laughs> run upstairs and like slam their door to like, what do you think they yell? Like you've never won an Oscar. And then they like slam the door. <laughs> oh, I said, oh. can you just imagine like you have dinner, dinner with Christopher Nolan every night. Like you just get to sit down and like have dinner with Nolan, <laughs> with Nolan. Although for him, he's, he's dad. This is a question that I think would be interesting. And Sean, yeah, you as a father, I know Gabe's wrapping us up, but it's real fast. Because I think this is an interesting question. If you are Christopher Nolan's child and you yes. are a fan of your dad's work right. and you geek out with him about it. I'm telling you, as uh, <laughs> just from speaking from experience, they probably are not fans of his work. <laughs> Wait, how could you not be a fan of Interstellar? Like, uh, they just well, they actually, don't care. You are. 
Yeah. I would say you're asking the wrong guy that question. They are so bored listening to their father talk about it. There is no done. way that Christopher Nolan's <laughs> kids don't appreciate Dark Knight. There's no way they don't appreciate it. That's very possible. That's probably- their dad directed Dark Knight. You spoke to Katzenberg also. What'd you take away? About yeah. That? I got to be honest with you, man. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is an app that we're asking people to pay for. And oh, I it costs money. I mean, there's a, you get a 90 day yeah. first subscription Out. and then you start paying for it. And I just, I mean, I mean, we're talking about like we live in the wild west of, of streaming apps. Yeah. And I got to be honest with you. Like, yes, Kevin, you're right. Whenever I said like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to watch a 10 minute long video on my phone. And you're like, oh, you're on your phone all the time. But it's different. It's one like when I'm on my on my phone, like texting someone, like texting you guys or, or doing whatever. I'm also like running around doing different things. Very rarely do I stop in my day and watch. I mean, even if I pull up like a YouTube video and it's like seven minutes long, part of me goes like, oh god, like seven minutes. Like that's that's so a Sean, long all time. those reaction videos. Jake just goes right yeah. to the end. <laughs> no, what I do? Do you want to do you want to know what I do for those? I actually I turn them on while I'm getting ready for for uh, work in the morning. While I'm like brushing my teeth and uh, do my hair and put on my makeup and everything. That's what I nice. that's what I watch is Sean's reaction videos. That being said, I don't think at the end of the day that that honestly and and Kevin, I love how excited you are. I don't think the average person out there gives two shits that you can do this and then do that. I just, I don't think, I think it's cool. I know you think that's cool, but I don't think people care. And at the end of the day, when the 90 day, like free trial is up, I don't think, you know, if we're talking about Hulu, which is five ninety nine a month or, or something like Quibi, which is four ninety nine a month. And people have to really start picking and choosing what they want. I don't sit, okay, I don't let see me- someone going, Oh, I'd rather choose Quibi. See, this comes down to content. So you're telling me that three months from now, this is a four ninety nine service. Uh, the, I don't uh, think the, we're talking about this three months from now. Hold on, hold on. So three three months go by. We're out of the free free trial period, and they release the Spielberg series. Linda Loft does a a, a daily show about Lost for every episode. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Harrison okay, Ford's you're, you're on the bedtime stories. You're targeted. No, no. But I'm saying these are things that this app can do. Spielberg can make a television series. Lindelof could get on there and do lost 10-minute uh, recaps for every episode. They can do that. They can if they want. What I'm saying is if the content Well, I mean, right, like anybody could do Like Hulu could do it. that. Netflix can. You're, 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 no. My point is you, if the content was right, you would take it. You're specifically picking things that are targeting me. But at the end of the day, anybody could do anything that they wanted to. What it boils down to is I don't think people care enough – to stop and get it all on their phone. I don't think the whole, the phone bit is as appealing. In fact, whenever like we were learning about it, I, I kept thinking like, oh, am I going to get it on my TV? And it's like, no, it's a phone thing. And I thought, well, that's, oh, I care less now. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care to just watch videos on my phone. I want to be able to stop at the end of the day and turn Better Call Saul on, on my TV. Last question for you, Jake. Tell me the reason why you got Disney Plus. Tell me oh, the reason no why you got it. Hold on. You got it. He low-key shades Disney Plus every chance he gets. Who? <laughs> Jake does. I live yeah. for those tweets. Right, like, Disney Plus will announce something and Jake will be like, why did I pay it? Right. Well, six <laughs> months. I paid for six months. Dude, I did three years. <laughs> and you know why you got it, Jake? Because you got it for The Mandalorian. And and that that is the that is the show that drew people to Disney to Plus. To watch on my giant ass TV in my living room. My point is, if the content was there, you wouldn't care what what it was on. You would but, still be. But it. but if it's on my phone in three minutes at a time, I promise you, it's not going to be the content. All right. Okay. This week in streaming, um, 
We talked about Trolls World Tour. Kevin pointed out the fact that it's opening, so families might want to check that out. Uh, something else I want to mention, or Gabe also put this down in the show notes and very smart, Parasite. Your Oscar winner, the best picture winner of Parasite is making its way to Hulu. So if you held off for as long as you could and didn't want to see uh, the latest film from Bong Joon-ho, now you have a chance to throw it on your streaming service. Uh, I think all three of us would recommend you check it out at the very least. Maybe oh, yeah. the three Absolutely. of us didn't think that it was best picture worthy. Um, My second know. viewing of Parasite was was a completely different experience. I don't think it was best picture, but it's definitely a film that's worth seeing. And if you can, if you can watch it twice, that's when you can really see the masterwork about what he was doing. I did not really grab it the first time it wasn't it didn't connect um but that second time when i was a little more relaxed from it and just let it be it was a great so that happened happened a couple times last year i'm happy it's coming on streaming because i have meant to catch up with it uh that second time so i'm definitely gonna check it out on hulu very good um, with a lack of things coming to theaters we have made a decision to bring some recommendations of films that are on streaming services uh to you guys and i'm going to go first and let you know that this week out of the blue uh brendan picked Robert Altman's Popeye, which was just something he wanted to see. And uh, we fired it up. You know, I've never seen it. Oh, for real? I've never seen it. It's super ambitious. It's really funny in today's day and age of remakes and reboots and going back to our childhood to lean onto nostalgia. Like they put their best foot forward with that film. I mean, obviously they got Robin Williams uh, to play Popeye. He is committed to the Shelley Duvall is perfect casting. Shelley Duvall is, uh, yes, as olive oil. Um, and it's and they built a seaside town like it's it's a great set. It's real. It's like watching it. I was reminded of just when movies invested in production. Practical uh, effects. Practical effects. They they built a town that he was able to go through. And then Altman just made it as quirky and weird as he could in all the different uh, places and there's a bit with a whale at the end and it's uh, they have a a, a a sweet pea the baby and it's it's really weird who's the bad guy um, uh bluto is the bad guy and popeye's father and i forget who plays popeye's father i think it's burgess meredith um everyone's is cloaked under such uh yes i think the spinach is practical because they stuff it in his mouth at one does point he, they're making does he drink it. a bunch of spinach at one well, point he like hates a- it he hates spinach and he won't eat it. And his father like force feeds spinach to him. And Robin Williams is so committed to the bit. He's got a corn cob pipe the entire time. So he's <laughs> eating spinach around the corn cob pipe. It's, it's really weird. Oh, that's <laughs> it's kinda, really is it weird. on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Yeah. So you can watch uh, Robert always, Altman's Popeye. I always love the animated Popeye when his stick arm and then he would drink the, the spinach and his muscle would like grow up like a square. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was like, would it move was... like up and down his arm, like a, like a video <laughs> game kind of thing. So it's unlike anything Altman has, has done prior to this. And if you love Robert Altman films, you're, you're probably wondering why he did Popeye. It's a really weird choice for a director uh, to take on material like this, but he poured everything that he could into it. And so um, if you haven't seen it in a really long time, it's one of those movies that was on HBO uh, when I was a kid, all the time, and um, we watched it constantly. We watched it almost weekly. So um, give it a shot. It's on Netflix. Uh, Jake, you got one? Yeah, um, I watched the platform on Netflix. Mm. And nice. uh, really quick, tight thriller. I know Kevin watched it as well, so Kevin, feel free to chime in. Uh, quick 90 minutes. Really interesting idea. Very interesting premise. Um the, the, the set design behind this prison, which goes underground at every platform, it's, you know, it's, it's very much a, a very open social commentary about this idea that we all consume 
uh, more than we need. And if we all you know, only consumed what we needed, there would be enough for everyone to go around. And it's this idea that there's this table of food that starts out at the very top of this prison and slowly is elevated, or I'm sorry, it's, so, it, so it goes down level by level. Um, and then like the, the prisoner, there's two prisoners on each floor and they get like two minutes to eat as much food as they can before it goes to the next one. And every month, they're shuffled around and they go to a different floor. So you never know. Wow. You almost sort of like, you're like, oh, I'm on, I'm on floor eight. And so I really got to eat much now because like in a month, I could be on floor 180 and then there's not going to be any food when the table gets oh, down to me. Gosh. It's wow. this really interesting premise. And it kind of continuously starts like uh, uh, revealing more and more rules as you go along. Great performances. Um, it is in Spanish, but like, you know, like, like we've said a thousand times, just watch it and you kind of forget that you're doing it. I will say without getting too much of the ending sort of left me a little bit like, Okay. All right. Like that's interesting. It's you know, um, I don't want to get into it too much, but really, it's a quick ninety-minute thriller. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Um, hard R. Uh, but I absolutely worth a watch. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. nasty. I uh, I made the mistake of putting on the platform when Laura and I were going to bed one night, and we. I, oh, I it's not a good before bed movie. Yeah, there was started cannibalism started happening, and I was like, I can't really watch that before I go it's to probably sleep. Probably not and a then, good dinner movie either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I but gen, but honestly, it was very intriguing. We we actually meant to finish it. Um, I do want to finish it. I just kind of watched it at the worst time possible. Mm-hmm. I, I I went to bed with those images, which was not fun. But it's a pretty um nasty film, especially the. You know what's weird about it? The nastiest stuff for me was the eating. Not, not even the violence. It was like the way they would eat. Oh, just not how they like, like, like shoving the, food into their mouth. Yeah. Oh, and, I mean, and the food already that, looks, by the time it gets to them, it's gross. And it's been like, oh. it's like, it's like, like pe- picked over food. It's like leftovers. I imagine like 40 different groups of people leftovers. going through your food. Yeah. Justin throws down at the bottom. But, but, but <laughs> imagine all, imagine all of the food from 40 people above that has been picked up apart in, so imagine getting a chicken wing that has like one sliver of chicken still left on it. You have to bite into it after 10 people bit into it. It's like it's nasty. Kev, do Gross. you have a nicer recommendation for us? <laughs> I do. I, I was going to take this on a little more comedic route with Sin, with Sin City. Um, oh, nice. Not just not comedic, but uh, this is uh, <laughs> no question. I saw this three times opening weekend. It's streaming on Netflix. Uh, it's still one of the most astounding cinematic achievements I've experienced as a Film fan, uh, you know, Rodriguez shooting the entire film essentially on green screen. Um, one of the coolest featurettes ever. Uh, if you have the Blu-ray or the DVD, I've mentioned this in the show before, is the 12-minute sped-up version, about 500% sped-up of the entire film without visual effects. So you'll see Mickey Rourke running on a treadmill when in the movie, Marv is just walking across like a field. It's so cool. Um, it's very cool. Uh, and I just think Rodriguez has always been that guy who even while Sin City is digital, the filmmaking of it is incredible. Like the practicality they put into it to make it look the way it does. Um, and then the bit in the middle that Quentin Tarantino directs. So Tarantino, I believe it was the first time Tarantino ever professionally shot on digital. And I don't think he liked it. Uh, I, I, I remember reading a story about Cause it. Because you, you know what the trade was, right? You know what the trade that, that Rodriguez did? The, didn't Rodriguez do the score for the second half of Kill Bill? Right. I didn't know that those two were aligned. I didn't know that was the trade. I thought, I thought, it, was a, I thought cool. it was a trade. That, like, yeah, that they, I didn't they know like, that. like Tarantino did uh, like that scene from Sin City, and then Rodriguez did the score for the second half, yeah. um, which has a very sort of Western That's interesting. Uh, feel to it. All right, last thing I'm I'll say taking, about it is if— I'm not taking that if, bait. If you do watch the Sin City um, uh, movie and you want to know where Tarantino's scene start and begins, it's the, it's the scene with Clive Owen and Benicio Del Toro in the car— 
Uh, uh, Del, so Del Toro good. has the gun in his forehead, his head. Uh, it's a great scene, but Quentin directed that. It's fantastic. If you haven't seen Sin City, check it out. But then after you're done, just watch the featurette because it'll blow your mind the filmmaking process that Rodriguez went through to make Sin City. It is, I can't believe I love that the movie booking. Exists. I think that's my favorite part of Sin City is the Josh Hartnett, the beginning yes. and the end. I love that, That's my favorite part. I got obsessed with it so much that the reason I put it in my underrated is I went out and bought all the first edition comics. So I have like the one-offs. I have like this, uh, some of the coolest Frank Miller uh, stuff you'll ever see. It's so awesome. That movie's amazing. Wait, you seen did it. you just give away your underrated 2000s pick then? No, I, I do. I don't know if Sin City, I still have the DVD as well. That can, That's the one that came with the featurette. That's the one that has it. Yeah. So the one Jake is holding up right there, that came yeah. with a copy of The Hard Goodbye, right? There should be a copy of The Hard Goodbye inside there, right? Mm-hmm. The actual Frank Miller graphic novel for Hard Goodbye. Yep, there it is. I have a yes. weird one with Bruce Willis and Jessica Alba on the cover. That's the that's the theatrical. Well, so we're, that, we're movie fans, Sean. <laughs> Sin City was um was three three Frank Miller books. It was Dame to Ki- wait no Dame to Kill for was the sequel. Oh, look Goodbye. at this one. There well, you Kevin, go. go right into your. Uh, this one has theatrical and recut, extended and unrated versions. Ooh. Well, now we're just measuring, Kevin. <laughs> Kick off on our underrated 2000s Wait, Jake, look, I do have, I forgot I had this. I thought Lauren threw, I thought we threw this away. Uh, look oh, look at you my God. God. Let him kiss. Let him kiss. Let him kiss. This was my, dude, this was one of my most prized possessions I ever had. There it is right there. The movie in high speed green screen. And Gabe comes All back. Right. We haven't moved on yet. That's the best part. No, we, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. We're going into our blend game. Underrated 2000s. Yeah. Lots of great recommendations from the audience. But first we get to go. Jake, take us home. Uh, my choice for uh, underrated 2000s is uh, the Darren Aronofsky film, The Fountain. Oh, uh, I almost went with think... that. Okay, but wait, I want to emphasize this to everybody too. This is from 2000 yeah. to 2009. We're still going to get one more decade out of this. Right. I think, yeah. theoretically. Yeah. Okay, The yeah, Fountain. Yeah, because we can do the 2010s, yeah. yeah the yeah, Fountain, yeah. I think, is is one of the most uh, beautiful, so heartbreaking, but also hopeful uh, uh, dissections of what it means to live and of what it means to die and and to to leave uh, to leave a legacy. I think the, the the score and and Hugh Jackman's performance, which unfortunately has been like reduced down to that meme where he's like looking up at the sky. It's it is one of the most beautifully filmed, most beautifully realized movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I almost feel like. Just maybe within the past few years, and maybe because like he hasn't put out. I guess he put out Mother. I'm trying to get things. He's like we've kind of everyone's kind of gotten cold on Aronofsky a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Noah, I didn't think it was great. Mother, I liked. Um, but I, I I feel like we're we're sort of kind of losing sight of how much of a genius Darren Aronofsky is, and I kind of feel like he needs to come back into the picture a little bit. But even when talking about the genius of Aronofsky, I feel like people don't talk about the Fountain enough. No, um, and I, I I asked. Um, they do the I Wrestler asked, or Black Swan or films, yeah, like, which or are Requiem also, for a Dream. Amazing yeah. films, but yeah, Clint yeah. Mansell's Fountain Score. Yeah, oh, so yeah. Good. yes, it's one of the greatest scores of all time. But you know, I asked, um, I asked uh, Hugh Jackman one time, and about you know, it's just with movies that are coming out on DVD, and a lot of times they find a second life. I said, you know, what is a movie that you wish people would go back and, and discover? And I got to be honest with you, he he said something that I couldn't remember what it was. I know and what I he said. said no, but but my but, okay. So wait, what? Because because then I went back and said, "What?" But not the fountain. And he goes, "No, we made the fountain for a very special, specific group of people, and those people love the fountain." He goes, "I made the fountain knowing it was never going to be 
this hundred million dollar movie. He goes, but whenever someone comes to me and tells me that they love the fountain, I know exactly what kind of person they are. And it says a lot to me. So that actually kind of, yes, I do think it's an underrated movie, but that always kind of stuck with me that like, okay, maybe it is supposed to be this kind of like little gym that, that has this little club of people that, that love it and appreciate it. But if you've never seen it, it is the most gorgeous reflection uh, of what it means to live and what it means to die and, and what it means to, to, to carry on a, an existence and what it means to not, not just exist, but to live in this world and do something. Um, it's truly just, just a remarkable, remarkable film. The Fountain, I want to say one thing about that because I have a very specific uh, tie to that. And not in the movie itself, but I'll never forget because like, growing up, Requiem for a Dream and Pie were such big deals to me as a kid. And so Darren Aronofsky came to Georgetown to do a screening of The Fountain and do a Q&A. And then cool. after the Q&A was done, we went to the hotel bar and he bought us all a round of Blue Moon. It was what? the first time I ever had Blue Moon in my entire life was because of Darren Aronofsky. And, <laughs> I, awesome. and I will never forget it. And Jake, do you know that all the background images in The Fountain, the ones that are outside in space, are actual microscopic imagery? Mm-hmm. They're not CGI. Yeah. That is That's that awesome. is that is it's micro organisms like going back and forth. That's how they created it. It's so cool. Kev, what's your pick? Uh, I went with Grindhouse, uh, but the full experience. The great entirety. Answer. I actually thought of a great answer. You had, that's, which is the only way it, it should exist. Yeah, and oddly, so it's funny. I battled between this and Watchmen. I was going back and forth. Between I those also two. thought about Watchmen, but also yeah. also a good answer. But Grindhouse, uh, why I consider it underrated is because the movie bombed in theaters. No one saw it. Uh, when they eventually put the movie out on DVD and Blu-ray, they split it into two films between Planet Terror and Death Proof. So a lot of people – see, that's, that's what confused me about it. A lot of people rented like Planet Terror without the context of what Grindhouse was. Oh, and it probably weird. made no sense. You know what I mean? Like you, you would And there were no trailers. Right. So this like the version, fake trailers. Yeah, 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 this is the version you have to get. Uh, if anybody watching, it's the Grindhouse Collector's Edition. You can actually watch it the way it was seen in theaters. Uh, it starts with obviously Machete, the Machete trailer. Then it goes into Plant Terror. Then you have the three greatest trailers ever in the middle. Edgar Wright's Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, Edgar Wright's Don't. Don't. Or, don't. Yeah, don't. don't. And then Eli don't. Roth's don't. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then uh, Werewolves of the SS, uh, that was uh, Rob Zombie. And then you go into Tarantino's Death Proof. And so Which for I me, love. I agree with you. And I love, but love both Proof. movies complement each other. It's an sure. experience, the Grindhouse experience. So the reason why I say it's underrated is because when people talk about Quentin Tarantino, Death Proof is like a forgotten film of his. And it's, it's truly an incredible film, um, which is very, 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 very much paying homage to Vanishing Point, which is a great movie as well. So uh, Grindhouse, if you have a chance, if you ever, if you have only seen Planet Terror or Death Proof and you want the full-blown experience, it's awesome. It's a really they, cool experience. They press screened uh, Grindhouse, the full Grindhouse experience Same. for us here in I, Charlotte. And I was the only press member who showed up. I got to watch it in a theater all by what? myself. <laughs> yeah. For a, for a Tarantino to, Rubber Rodriguez movie? Yeah. I, was, I mean, we only have five or six people in, in town who do this anyway, even back then. And uh, yeah, I was the only one who showed up That's for that one. First time I ever interviewed Tarantino. I was uh, oh, really? the, the radio show that I was interning at the station for had Quentin on for a phoner. And I begged them to come in and be a part of the interview. I was only on Fridays for, for movie reviews. So I wrote all their questions. And then they said, okay, you can ask one at the end or whatever it was. And I got to ask him. He was in the middle of writing Inglorious Bastards. Uh, and I've told you guys this before, but I asked him if he thinks he'll ever top the true romance monologue. And he goes, I just finished writing this World War II film called, called Inglorious Bastards. 
and I think I might have topped it. Like just the the timestamp of that will always freak me out because Bastards is like one of my favorite movies ever. Um, and but then Grindhouse years later, he told you why. We became best friends with him. <laughs> His Bastards monologue is the best. All right, mine. My pick is a serious downer. Um, and I hate to sort of bring the game down on a on a downbeat note, but mine is United ninety three, uh, Paul Greengrass's film. Great, one hundred. Per, that's the best pick of all three of these. Sorry, Jake. I love your pick too. That that's perfect. Sorry. It is a it is an it is a masterpiece that no it one is. wants to watch, <laughs> and I can't. It's hard for me to argue with you. Um, but if uh, it's the most visceral, one of the most visceral experiences I've ever had in a theater. Uh, there's a lot of talk here about how bad the coronavirus is and how it's the equivalent of Pearl Harbor and 9-11, but I don't think we're ever in our lifetimes really going to, I hope thank, I hope to God we don't, uh, but experience the, the horror and the shock that came with September 11th. Like That's always going to be something that haunts our generation. Um, and Paul Greengrass figures out a way to tell a story from that day that relives the day, um, but still finds a way to tell a heroic story of the the passengers on United 93 who have to figure out over the course of this flight what's happening um, and then uh, storm the cockpit, essentially. And it's done in Paul Greengrass style, which is a lot of handhelds, uh, milking the tension. It has one of the most amazing scenes, uh, well, two, uh, and I'm going to spoil them uh, for you if you haven't yet seen the movie, but I have to talk about them. Uh, one being when the te- when the plane, the second plane hits the tower, he chooses to show it from the, um, he's in the air traffic control room, which these guys are, are the geniuses who control uh, flights are trying to figure out in the moment what the hell is going on. And they don't know. And it's terrifying because we have the hindsight of knowing everything that's going on, but you're watching these guys try to figure out like, why aren't these planes responding and what's going on? And then you see over their shoulder in the far distance, the second plane hit. And that's, that's the real footage. Like, oh, is it really? Oh, I didn't so even what, know that. So what he did was, uh, I'm so happy you brought that up and I don't mean to cut you off, but that is one of the most that astounding scenes. scenes I've ever seen. And I, from what I can gather, uh, if you watch the scene closely, he shoots it kind of overexposed a bit. That way, the actual footage of the day matches his film photography. Wow. And I think I've, I'm almost certain that that footage is the actual plane. Uh, that I remember specifically talking to someone about that. Um, look That's it up. Same. But that is the footage. And, the, and he blended it together by overexposing, I think. It looks aw- it looks very well done. It's not and you know, I remember it's, it's hard going to watch. Into that, going into that film, I remember thinking, like, how are you going to make this movie interesting when everybody knows what happens? Like, I always have that sort of question in the back of my mind when you talk about a real real events. Um, and I was also in the back of my mind thinking, like, how are you going to end this movie? Like, how does this movie come to a close? And it's one of the most shocking and satisfying endings uh, I can I can remember seeing in my lifetime. And then to see that movie underperform just bummed me out because it's so well done. Like, it's such a masterpiece. But, but he got a time, Best Director nomination, didn't he? I think he did. I think it even it, got It didn't get because... Best Picture, but he oh, got okay. Director nominated. All right. Well, then that's fair. And again, I can't, I can't make an argument to anybody who just says to me, I don't want to watch a 9-11 drama. I get that. I understand. But if you are willing to sit through a film, it's it's expertly crafted and uh is such a moving film and so i'm uh picking that for mine sean do you know why that's a great pick here's why united 93 the reason why the film is so great is because it it was a movie that had to be made because no one because the stories about 9-11 when you talk about 9-11 obviously everyone talks about the towers and the pentagon um but this Mm -hmm. story 
wasn't, you know, it was told obviously, but it wasn't told to the extent of those stories, you know, and, and understandably, because obviously you're thinking about all the different things that are happening. There's so much to cover. But in this case, I think Greengrass gave a voice to those people that that were on that plane that that, you know, in the film obviously took the plane down and kept it from wherever it was going. That's what yeah. the film is discussing. And now we don't really ever know for sure where that plane was headed. Correctly. Wasn't it going to go to the White House? That was a that was a theory I, I, in the movie. They actually put don't they have an actual vil, vil, uh, visual of the Capitol? Or something like that. They actually show oh, where they're the going camera. in the movie. But to Sean's point, the reason why that film is so important, it's underrated by default because it's a movie that no one wants to see. Yeah. Um, and it becomes underrated because no one really wants to, to live it. See, I argue, and I think Sean would argue, and I think Jake would argue too, that it, it's an important film to watch because it's a story that not a lot of people talk about. And I think that it will give you such an interesting... That day was so tragic but there was also so much hope that came from that day and that story speaks to humanity and while the nastiness of what happened on that day happened humanity will always overpower and overcome and i think yep. that's like that's what the movie's really saying is like let me let us tell you a positive story about this even though people died look at these people and what they were doing I and mean, willing to do to save people in their country it was pretty wild unbelievable great story um, yeah kyle david perry movie. And Ashton Gleckman said Frank Darabont's The Mist. Definitely underrated. Uh, Garben Boyle said Constantine. Uh, Thomas Manning said The Brothers Bloom, going back into Ryan uh, Johnson's filmography. Someone else also said Brick, too, if I remember. Um, both of them, really, really good. And Karos Soto said Sunshine by Danny Boyle. I, I like Sunshine a lot. I, I, I don't like its ending. I just, and I don't remember what I don't like about it, but I just remember loving it. And then I thought it kind of went off the rails. I, I kind of revisit that too, because I love Danny Boyle. And I just don't remember what I didn't like about the ending. And now I kind of want to revisit it and see. All right. I peaked and saw next week's blend game. Fun one. It's going to be a fun one. Hashtag Tony Scott blend. We oh. are going to celebrate the films of Tony Scott. So Why do you always play one that I, I definitely know. have an answer to? It's like I, I already, already done. I always say I got oh, it too. I got it too. Shoot, I'm ready. I know Kevin's already. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Can, can am... we put a stipulation that you can't yes. pick it? All right. I can't, so obvious. can't pick what? True, True romance. romance. So let, let, let's uh, let yeah. people can pick it. I will yeah. I will go further than True Romance. So just know True mm-hmm. Romance is my ultimate, but I'm going to pretend like it's not number one. Okay. Like well, now you're probably going to pick mine. No, but if I, we ever I get to one, like McTiernan, I would not mine. pick Die Hard. Like that would be a deal, rule, right? Yeah, that's a you'd rule. pick Last kind of Action thing. Hero. It's awesome. Oh, I might actually pick Last yeah, Action Hero. All right, so you can play along on social media or email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. Uh, we are always soliciting reviews from you guys. Last time I checked, our iTunes domestic account was sitting at 99 reviews. Now, Gabe said nah. um, if you take the international numbers, we're at like 126 or 127. But you guys got to understand that the OCD in me is really, it's eating away at me. Like I almost didn't sleep the other night because it's just sitting at 99. And now if it jumps past to like 102, it's not going to be satisfying. Like I need to just see that 100 just for a minute and process it and then move on. But right now we're sitting at 99 and one of them is from- You shouldn't have said that out loud, dude. I know, I know. And one of them's from Deanna too, who says, fun and interesting. I recently found this podcast when looking for reviews on a movie and let me tell you, 
This one is awesome. I'm currently back binging all episodes between the new ones and loving it. You guys mix your reviews with interesting stories and fantastic interviews. The interview with Chad Stahelski was so interesting. A real behind the scenes of how much goes into creating choreographing specific scenes. The The dog stories he told us was incredible about how they had to spend like weeks with the stunt guys. I still think about that. I really enjoyed that you all give your own reviews, even if it doesn't match the others. Believe me, that happens more often than not. Uh, Keep up the great job, guys. Don't judge me because I haven't seen it yet, but Dunkirk. All right, rectify that, Deanna, too. Uh, P.S. I'm envious. Thanks, Kevin, for getting our Holden back. Reboot wouldn't have been the same without him, and I agree with Jake and Kevin. The Rise of Skywalker was a fast, fun, and nostalgic ride that's led by Adam Driver. Well, Deanna, we were doing okay for a AKA while. AKA suck it, Sean. We were Thank doing you for your message <laughs> for a little while. Um, we'll be back next week with um, some other fun interviews that we're lining up while we're all in quarantine. You can listen to us. Uh, uh, well, you can go back and listen to the whole back catalog. You can follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell. Hey, the Sean. show is at Real Blend. Yes, Kevin. I just got a, a text message uh, oh. from. Um, Wait, from I Johnny, have a pun I want to throw out there. Too. From <laughs> yes, Johnny no. Depp. Johnny Depp. Don't we wants have to, to go? Johnny Depp wants to include a, a, a he wants to go back and do a nineties, a nineties blend, uh underrated nineties blend, Johnny Depp. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So Johnny Depp wanted to chime in on underrated nineties blend from a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He wants to do um primal fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really Thank good you. one. Thank you, Johnny. Really good one. Thanks, buddy. Yes. And uh I don't know if you know this, Kev, but when I interviewed yeah. Hugh Jackman, uh. um, I also asked him about um his favorite Kate Winslet movie. Uh-huh. Do you know what Hugh Jackman's favorite Kate Winslet movie is? Kate, his, Hugh Jackman's Drop us a review on iTunes. Favorite and, uh, Kate Winslet film. Go uh, sign up for the Facebook community page as well, too. Is it's, there a uh, holiday? Is it not the- No, it's well, The Fountain ahead. Between Us. Uh, <laughs> that's actually really good because it actually rhymes with mountain. It that's really, really, really good. Well, that's why I did it. <laughs> I know, but thank you. Uh, but there was an extra layer of funniness in that one. So thank you for doing all that. Right. Until next week. And now you can see us all say... Dun- Dunkirk! Kirk. Oh, there it is. Dunkirk. Nice. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.